Welcome to Niner Sports Talk. Um, returning here today is our guest host, Blake Rose. Blake, thanks for coming on today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, today, you know, Super Bowl is this weekend. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about what Halton Magic really meant this past weekend. Some big home wins for both men's and women's basketball. And then look at the trade deadline acquisitions for the Hornets. So, Blake, let's just get into it. Starting with men's basketball. What did you see in that game against ECU? What did you see from the fan base? Yeah, so I thought the fan base was really great. Um, it's something that we haven't seen in Halton since uh, 2013, uh, which was a sellout crowd, eight th- over 8,000 people in attendance. Um, it was a whiteout. So when you looked out into the crowd, it was just a sea of white, and the crowd was super pumped. Um, the team was super pumped. You saw them going out into the crowd after the game taking pictures. Um, Fern was getting the, the crowd involved, and, and um, there was just a, a atmosphere in the arena that, that we haven't seen in Halton in a really long time, and it was just a great thing to be a part of, and I thought I think it's great for uh, the culture of the team going forward. You know, the night before the game, Fernville, I know I talked to Coach Fern about it last week, but he had kids camping out in tents, basically laying on bricks to sleep the night before to get into this game. What does that tell the rest of the fan base? What does that tell the team when you see that happening? Yeah, so that tells the team that fans are buying in, that people are buying into the program, that people are buying into the culture that Fernville is is uh, creating. Um, and when you've got a when you've got a a uh, what I saw personally, when you've got a fan base that acts like that and that camps out and and gets excited and gets riled up for the games, um, it brings out people who wouldn't normally go to a basketball game. It brings out people who normally aren't basketball fans, and that is fantastic for the university, that's fantastic for the team, that's fantastic for the players and for the fans, because it just creates a better environment for for all involved. Um, so I think that's really great that they were camping out because it, it really shows the team and it shows the other fans that, that we're for real. And that was a big win for the team. That was their eighth conference win in a row, a program record for that streak coach ferns really got everyone i think personally he needs to get the interim tag taken off of his name he's earned that right but they won that game 67 to 52 it was a close game till the end you wouldn't tell it by that score it looked like the fan base really projected some energy to them to win that game out in the end what did you see on the court what was their good moments and what was their bad moments from that game yeah so they came they came out and and they were only Charlotte was only leading by one point at halftime, um, and they they did not come out firing on all cylinders like they have like Charlotte has previously in the season. They came out a little stagnant. They came, they went toe to toe with ECU and were able to keep up. They looked a little wound up from the, all the energy and stuff that went into that game because they had a week off before then, right? Yes, and that's what that's what Fern even said is that he said that, that in the beginning if that, that there were some guys on the team um, that have maybe never played in a situation quite that ecstatic. Um, and then and so it, he said that the hardest time was those about first six minutes of the game and then the rest was smooth sailing because you kind of get into a groove and you kind of get accustomed to that huge loud you know magic type of crowd um and so I think that was one of the the reasons why maybe they were not not as productive as they typically have been in the beginning um of this game but they really I think got behind the uh, I think they got behind the fans and they got behind their values a- as a team and started kind of going back to their you know normal play that we've been seeing uh, in the second half and were able to to win by by quite a uh, uh, good number of points and so uh, I think that was great for uh, the team to kind of bounce back from. 
one of the players really stood in that game was Igor Milicic Jr. We've been talking about him all year. What I saw was interesting in that game. I didn't even realize it during the game until I looked at the box score. He had five blocks in that game. What does that say about his defensive effort this year? Yeah, no, you can you can see it from from Igor. He's he's always one of he is consistently one of the first guys to run towards the other end of the court when he or a teammate misses a shot or or if they make one. He's almost always one of the the first to to reach that other side of the court. Uh, and five blocks is 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 amazing. And you felt it in the the arena when he was getting those blocks and was getting those defensive stops and you could feel that he really that he really believed that he could be that defensive anchor and that he really kind of stepped into that defensive role um even without the blocks he was providing great pressure and and good defense and that's also a testament to to Fern's schemes and and how they fit with Igor but um I'm loving the production on defense as well as offense um, next up, we've got some words from Coach Fern after that game, what he said in the press conference, how excited he was from that game. Um, yeah, like just uh, said to the guys in the locker room, um, extremely proud of them. Um, Jackson's pretty emotional right now. He's been part of this program from day one. Uh, and, uh, you know, to see that, that, that emotion is, like, awesome. You know, like... I've said it all week, I want them to have an unbelievable experience, um, but it's not just the players, it's the students, it's the community. Um, can't get excited about being in a sporting event um, like that one, you don't have a pulse. Um, yeah, that was, that was magic, and I've been part of a lot of big games in my past, and, but uh, and that was fun. That's a fun one, for sure. Then... After that big win they just had, we just talked about, they went down to South Florida. They lost that game. They led it for 39 minutes, losing it in the final minute. What really went wrong in that game? Yeah, so from what I've seen this team so far this season is that the three-point shooting has been kind of hit or miss and that there are some times when they can and when they can't make shots. In this particular game, they were not making them as efficiently as they should have, um, and that was one of the that was one of the daggers that allowed uh, USF to be able to get that upper hand. Um, and then also a common theme that we've seen throughout this uh, season so far from multiple different players is the turnovers in the wrong time in that in that danger time where the score is close or the um, USF has the lead and, and you you turn the ball over and, and potentially risk letting the game slip out of your hands. And we've seen that before. And it, it was um, we've seen that before in lower stakes environments where we end up winning the game. But this was a situation where we see that and it it did not go our way. And you talked about it with the three-point shooting. That's been an issue on the road all season. Coach Fern always says they just need to shoot the three-point ball better. That game on the surface, you know, looking at the box score, they shot six for 19. That's not bad. But when you take into account they started the game four for four from the three-point line, That's they made, made them fall in love with it, and that really proved costly in the end, only losing by three points. And we saw that in the final possession of the final few possessions of the game. They forced an early three when they could have just held the ball took a good two to win it. Another thing I think that led to that loss was the second half, Deshaun Jackson was really just dominating the first 10 minutes of that second half in the paint. He was scoring all the points. 
South Florida is a short team. They're one of the shortest teams in the nation. He was just bigger and better than them in that game, and they stopped feeding him the rock. I think that was the big key there. But as they try and bounce back, they're facing Temple on Sunday. Temple has been has a really bad record in conference. What do you hope to see from them before they bounce back so this doesn't spiral? Yeah, so going back to I'd like to see that, and I'm still waiting to see kind of how um, a lot of our, our players uh, develop through the rest of the season, but I'd love to see the three-point percentage go up a little bit. Um, I think the amount of three-pointers that they're taking, um, excluding the South Florida game, um, is reasonable for um, our uh, offense right now, but I would like to see them make a couple more. Um, and then also, I'd love to see the guys go in with the mindset of, right, we're going into a, a team that might not have the best conference record, um, and these are the games that you need to win to keep that momentum going. Because right now is not when you want to be losing to teams that are maybe, you know, the very last or second to last or third to last in conference standings. These are the teams that you're going to want to beat to gain momentum to go face teams like... You know, they are teams that have a bigger and and more commanding presence within the conference, whether they be in the middle or towards the the, the top of the conference. Okay. Once again, men's basketball is going to be taking on Temple next Sunday in Philadelphia at 2 p.m. That game's going to be on ESPN Plus. Hopefully, to see the 49ers bounce back, that's a big game that could really just torment them if they don't pull through in that one. Then we look at the women's basketball. They had their own halt and magic on Sunday. So this past Sunday, we saw the women's basketball team uh, take on Temple in Halton, and um, they came out with a double overtime comeback win. Uh, Sam, what did you see from uh, the women's team that allowed them to to pull this game out? Uh, for starters, I think you almost saw their own version of halt and magic. You know, Saturday night, the night before that game, the men's team had the big win against ECU. We talked about sold out crowd. Had a really good crowd for the women's game. It was their play for K game. They were playing for more than just themselves that day. Honestly, the first half they fell behind. Just shots weren't falling their way. But then it was almost like Deja Lawrence was in her own head a little bit because she was only 23 points away from 1,000. You saw her in the second half really bounce back. She scored all the points she needed. She got to 1,000. And what I liked about that, her 1,000th point was scored – in the final minutes of the game, the re- regulation to make the game 66 to 64, really close game from them. And then when you have a player like Deja Lawrence scores a thousand points, she's only a junior. Doing that that quick means a lot for her. It means a lot for the team. This is a player that Coach Consuerga has recruited since middle school. So we actually have some audio clips from what that meant to them in that game. You can listen to now. Well, I say, I'll say first, I'm glad she got it today because today was not an easy day for her. And I think that describes Deja. Like, I mean, what, what she means to me and I think what she means to Charlotte is, um, you know, she's a young lady who's been on a journey that always hasn't always been easy, but she keeps coming back. And that's the fabric of who we are. And that's what makes Deja so special. I mean, she's a Charlotte women's basketball player through and through because of her toughness, because of her heart, because of her resiliency. You know, Deja was as frustrated as I've ever seen her in this game, but she just kept fighting. She kept trying to stay in it. And sometimes that's all it is, right? You're taking punches and you just have to stay in it. And I thought she did a good job doing that. Obviously, you know, a thousand point is an amazing accomplishment for every, you know, collegiate player that does that. Uh, I'm super proud of her because of the effort she's put in. 
Um, but you know, more than anything, I'm just proud of the person she's become through that journey. Um, just for me, I'm just grateful. Like Coach said, my journey here hasn't always been easy. There was a point I didn't even think that I was going to get close to a thousand. So I'm just grateful, and I'm grateful that I got to do it on a day where I'm not here and play for K. So this game was much bigger than me today. So I'm just grateful that I was able to get a thousand. Went on to win the game against Temple, 88 to 81 in double overtime. There's a lot of controversy at the end of the first overtime period. The clocks was stopped and restarted in anticipation of a timeout. So Daisy Lawrence actually had a buzzer beater three-pointer that didn't count to make it go to the second overtime period. They pulled off that big win, though. But then they came out on Wednesday night, losing to Florida Atlantic 66-55. to Blake, what went wrong in that game? What did you see where they could improve from that game? So kind of building off of uh, talking about the uh, women's basketball star player, Deja Lawrence, um, the second half kind of went wrong for both Lawrence and the team as a whole. Um, Lawrence was 0-6 in the second half um, and did not score any um, points. And the shooting percentage through the second half was lackluster and ultimately was the dagger that uh, put Charlotte away in the game against FAU. Next up on Saturday, they're going to be going to ECU, looking to bounce back, kind of like the men's teams looking to bounce back on Sunday. It's an in-state game for them, big matchup against East Carolina. What do we want to see for them? Who do you hope steps up in this game for them to bounce back? So um, I had the pleasure of, of being able to talk to Deja Lawrence, and one of the questions that I asked her was, what are some games that you're looking most forward to? And she said that, the game that she is looking the most forward to and is looking the most uh, forward to stepping up in is that ECU game. And so I think um, coming off of her recent success and her recent um, achievement that she will be the one to watch and to see how she takes on the pressure and the challenge. But talking to her, she seemed like she was ready to handle that and ready to take it on. So we're looking for her, for her to, to step up on Saturday. And that game's on the road. And on Wednesday, on Valentine's Day night, Charlotte returns back home to Halden Arena. They're going to host the Memphis Tigers. There's a lot of familiarity with that program as their head, their new head coach this year is Coach Alex Simmons. She was with Gardner-Webb last year, led them to an undefeated Big South run. They won the conference championship, made it to the NCAA tournament last year. A lot of players from that team went with her to Memphis. All coaching staff went with her. So a lot of familiarity with Charlotte and the local area. So it should make for a really good matchup between those two. And then last night, Charlotte softball started their season in the Joanne Graff Classic. They're going to be taking on Florida State twice. And they're also going to take on Texas Tech twice and Florida A&M once over the weekend. Big kickoff for that team season, building off of their really good Conference USA run last year. And then next week, Charlotte Baseball is going to start their season hosting Virginia Tech for three games with the first game on February 16th, Friday night. Now transitioning to professional sports this weekend, Super Bowl weekend, big game every year. We got the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Blake, let's just talk about the matchup. Who do you think is going to win? How do you think the game's going to go? So what's your pick for this game? So my pick is the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, 28-21. to 21. Um, I think that we've seen that Patrick Mahomes um, is indeed 
the best quarterback in the NFL, and um, he has led this team from there were some doubts and there have been some sort of rocky rocky spots in this season compared to his previous Super Bowl season. But um, I think that th- that that Patrick Mahomes and the team has what it takes to go the extra mile and and you know go back to back last year and this year in the Super Bowl. Um, for me, I'm thinking the Chiefs are going to win that game 34-31. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. Two really powerful offense going against each other. They do have some good defense. So I could see some defensive touchdowns in this game. You never know what's going to happen. It's going to be who capitalizes on each other's mistakes more in this game. Should make for a good matchup. I got the Chiefs winning that one. But I was transitioned to local basketball team. Trade deadline was yesterday. A lot of big moves from the team. Charlotte Hornets. They made three trades this trade deadline. What did you see from those? Like, what would you grade? We'll go one by one. Starting with the Terry Rozier trade. So this Terry Rozier trade came in quite a, you know, quite a bit of time before the initial trade deadline. It came in sometime in late January, and the trade deadline is is or was February eighth. Um, and so within this package deal from uh, Miami, the Charlotte Hornets traded. Uh, they're extremely productive and um, extremely efficient so far this season. Uh, veteran shooting guard Terry Rozier to the Miami Heat in return for veteran point guard Kyle Lowry and a 2027 protected first-round pick. And that was, again, from Miami, so we uh, gave them the you know necessary building blocks for them to potentially contend again uh, this season, giving them a, a player in a position that they um, – Having Jimmy Butler, but allowing possibly Terry Rozier to take over the the point. But I think from the Hornets' um, perspective, that probably wasn't the strongest uh, trade, trading away your your very productive shooting guard. But I think it was necessary for Terry, and it was necessary for the Heat. Um, and I think that with the season that that the Hornets have had so far, that moving Terry to a to a better situation was probably the best for all uh, parties, even if it means giving up a player like Terry. Do you think for Miami in that trade, they they pick up Terry Rozier? Does that almost open the door that if a the right trade offer comes out, they feel comfortable moving on from like a Tyler Hero? Do you think that could open that door in the future? Yeah, so uh, we would have to look especially at what kind of bench help they have. Um, they've, they paid Tyler Hero quite a sum of money, um, and many speculated that that was probably a little bit too much for Tyler. And so I could see... I could see Miami now getting this kind of veteran guard. And when we say veteran, Terry is only 32 years old. Um, and so he's still got a lot, a lot of juice left in the tank. And we've seen he's been having a heck of a season so far with Charlotte um, before uh, being traded. And even so far we've seen in Miami, he's he's kept up a similar amount of play just with uh, less playing time. Uh, and so I think that moving on from Hero wouldn't be 100% out of the question and I think there are teams out there that could use a guy like Hero and, and could use somebody at that position. So I don't think it's 100% out of the question. Will they do it is is the other question. But I, I think that that's not a, a terrible move. You've just got to look at who do you have to fill in if Terry gets hurt or if, if Terry can't, can't start. Another trade that happened yesterday was Gordon Hayward got traded to Oklahoma City. What did you make of that move? I know the big contract they've been eating for a lot of years. 
Yeah, so Charlotte has had a had a, has had a struggle with uh, looming contracts. We saw that in Nick Batum having to pay him multiple millions of dollars two, three years after he wasn't with the team anymore. And so it was at the it was in the back of everybody's mind, sort of that that this Gordon Hayward contract was kind of eating away at the team, especially when he wasn't playing due to injury. Um, and so moving on from him and getting a guy like Trey Mann. Um, in a position that we specifically need because if we look at Gordon Hayward's playing the small forward and now with the development of Brandon Miller and, and to a lesser extent the development of Miles Bridges if you decide to play him at the at the three position as well I think that um, I think that moving on from Gordon Hayward is was the smart move to get rid of the contract and to get rid of the depth at that position because you do have plenty of of star power there and bringing in a guy like Trey Mann that could potentially take over the offense in the wake of LaMelo Ball's injury that I think that that was probably the smarter of the two trades that they had made so far. Talk about Davis Bertans for a little bit. He had some good history shooting this season. Got hasn't gotten to play much. He's kind of got a large contract. They have a team option on that next year. Do you think they pick that up, or is this just a salary move getting let him go? If Clifford gives him playing time and he can knock down shots like that, I think they do extend him because it's it's vital for this Hornets offense to get some form of shooting beyond the arc. It's been a weakness, and especially even with our star players, it has been a weakness for them, whereas in their, in their previous leagues or previous teams, we've seen them shoot very efficiently, and then they come to Charlotte and apparently lose the the efficiency. They're still knocking down shots, but the efficiency just kind of wanes a little bit. And so I think that if he can come in and, and provide that sharpshooting ability like he has in the past, I think that they do extend him. Um, but in terms of um, if he cannot provide adequate support to this team, I think that it's not the right decision and that they won't move on. And then the last trade they made – they trade away P.J. Washington to the Dallas Mavericks, brought in two local guys. What do you see from that trade, and how does that make you feel about the, how the roster will shake up next season? So uh, if you look at the emergence of Miles Bridges, who this season currently is averaging 28, point, uh, 28 points per game, on 46% shooting from the field and 37% shooting from three, when you have that production from a guy like Miles Bridges, moving on from um, from P.J. Washington is kind of a no-brainer because the two players are very similar in positions, but there is one player that is is better, and I think they kept the better player and moved on from the um, less efficient player, and that and that's not um, and that's not disparaging. P.J. Washington, I think he provided a lot for this team in his time here, but I think he could probably flourish in a place like Dallas better for him, and then it also fits better with our schemes in Charlotte's offense that they're not having two identical players trying to fight for for playing time, they, that Clifford can kind of hand that position off to Miles Bridges because I think he's earned it. And um, we're, we are gaining two local guys in – Grant Williams and Seth Curry that I think can spread the floor a little bit. I'm not sure how much playing time that they'll get. Um, I know that Seth Curry is towards the end of his career, and um, and I'm not sure how much Clifford will will play him. But kind of like the Trey Man is that maybe he can provide some bench minutes and some some production, maybe a little sharp shooting ability that we haven't been able to see. And of course, he gets to connect with his dad, um, who's part of the broadcasting team over in uh, over at. Uh, the Hornets organization, so that that might be cool to see. Looking at how the roster shaped up from these trades, 
What's your starting lineup and rotation moving forward the rest of the season? Is that with or without injury? Uh, let's go without injury right now. What they've got okay. healthy at the moment. So without injury, I think we see a starting lineup of LaMelo Ball. I think Trey Mann could fit nicely at the shooting guard position, but if not, then I would say probably Cody Martin at the shooting guard position. And then, so LaMelo Ball, Cody Martin, or Trey Mann, and then I think it is undoubtedly Brandon Miller at the small forward. I think I think Miles can play the power forward. He's a big, strong um, player, and I think he could. I think he could play that that four well enough. And then uh, Mark Williams at center. I think he's phenomenal if he if he can stay healthy. And that's no knock to Nick Richards. I just think that Mark Williams is athletic in in kind of a, a Bam Adebayo esque way that he can kind of spread the floor more than just a stationary center can. I like that lineup. I'm thinking they could um, try and experiment a little bit because they're obviously almost a lock for a top five draft pick this year. Maybe see if Brandon Miller, how he slides into maybe the two, can move Miles Bridges to three. And maybe that Davis Bertans, get him some playing time at the four, see if that shooting sparks something with his team. You could possibly see that, or maybe Seth Curry at the two and see what the shooting is. You, how do you think about that lineup? No, that's a great lineup. I, um, I think that I think that's probably a more realistic lineup for Clifford's offense because Clifford is notoriously not high on the younger players and so slotting a guy like Cody Martin in over Seth Curry would probably not be Clifford's move. I think Brandon Miller would play the shooting guard very well, if not a little bit, you know, above average for a shooting guard because of his his length and his size um and so I think Brandon Miller slotting in at the at the two behind Melo could be extremely efficient, and then moving Miles, who yeah, Miles is a little bit short for the the four, um, but that's kind of the that's that's kind of been the you know talk of the town around the Hornets is that it's a small team. It's a, that that outside of Nick Richards and Mark Williams, we don't have a another six foot ten, six foot eleven guy in. Um, before the trades, mm-hmm. um, now we've got Bertans to slide in, and I think that if he can, um, I think I think if Breton can can get in and and you know provide some pressure on that uh, on that in that four slot, I, I mean he will probably get plenty of open shots, uh, and and I, it'll be nice to see, or it'll be interesting to see w- how he you know produces on the um, slotted in at the at the four spot, so. I think that's very. I think that's very reasonable, especially for Clifford's offense. I think it's something they should test out because even if Breton's just a placeholder, I could see if that will work when you're looking at that top draft pick next year. Who knows if they keep that? It's not exactly considered a strong draft class. What do you hope they do with that pick? Would you like to see them maybe trade and bring in a top level talent if possible? Oh yeah, if we're if we are looking at this purely from a hypothetical, like what would what would I want to see? happen in the organization I would love for I would love for the Hornets to get some some big star power to go along Miller and and Ball by using those two now uh, 2027 protected first rounds Um, so they've got two on top of I'm assuming their own and so if they trade if they end up going to this going into this draft and they get a um, you know and, and they get a pick that, you know, mock drafts draft up and they say, hey, this guy doesn't really slot well with our our offense or maybe, 
uh, like you said, that this draft class is not the most star-studded coming off of one of the better top-heavy draft classes that we've seen with with generational Victor Wembanyama. And so looking at this draft class, the, the Hornets might be, they might say, hey, let's see if we can move a couple of these picks, these 2027 picks now that we have three of them. Can we move these the them at this year's trade, trade deadline um, along with this year's pick to try to say, hey, maybe could we get a Donovan Mitchell? Could we maybe get a Darius Garland? Or could we get, you know, an, another guy that could, another star that we could put in with this offense to really get us into contention. Um, and so that could either happen this year with trading away our pick um, a- along with some of these supplemental 2027s, or we could trade away some of these 2027s after this, you know, going into next season and in seasons. Um, that's the that's the the good thing about having these late, you might look at these picks and be like 2027 is five years away. Um, or it's three years away. I'm sorry, and it um, and you you think that's a that's a that's a long ways away. Um, but you also have all that time to potentially throw those into trades and get something out of it. So, you know, and the teams that have those picks, you don't know how they're going to be next year. Serve value for those picks might be higher now because you don't know how good they're going to be then. I think a player that could be intriguing for them to go after if he becomes available is Larry Marketing at the four. It's sliding really well because he. You got LaMelo Ball is going to be the ball-dominant guy. You need a, some secondary pieces that aren't going to have to have the ball in their hands all the time. But a lot of trades happened yesterday. Is there any that really stand out across the NBA to you that you think were really good moves for either one-sided or both teams? Yeah, so I think I think all of the Hornets um, trades that we've made have all been uh, a little bit better for the teams receiving. Um, and that's just because the Hornets are, are in kind of a – uh, rebuild. There was quite a few contract extensions that um, Bruce Brown Jr. Um, that the, the Raptors are keeping. That I think that that's probably a, a smart move, especially um, with his, with recent play. The Raptors are are probably not going to be big buyers or sellers uh, because they've just kind of got that weird record right now where they're not doing real great, but they're not doing real terrible either. So it um, I think not making a lot of moves for them was smart. Um, the 76ers trading uh, Jaden Springer to the Celtics for a second round pick. I think that was interesting as well. Um, I don't. I think both teams kind of got something decent out of that. Is the Celtics got another piece, um, not a star piece or a piece that they're really going to be slotting in in the starting lineup per se. But they only gave up a second round pick. But I think that the second round pick for the uh, 76ers builds capital because the 76ers already have enough to go the mile. And so just building around that, uh, I think that was very smart. Uh, for both teams, really. Milwaukee Bucks trading Robin Lopez. Um, but Lopez was expected to be a, a free agent. Um, so my speculation there was that the Bucks are just trying to get rid of the just trying to get rid of the contract, just trying to get rid of the the space. Um, and so and it, it, and I mean with the Bucks trade as well, they were sending um, it, it's just sending a cash deal. And so there, it was just Lopez, mm-hmm. um, and so especially with with those big names in in Milwaukee and everything that's going on there, that that those are some of the trades that that I've seen so far uh, yesterday that um, stand out to me as as good, and and some that stand out to me as is not so great. Um, before we move on from the NBA, one of the big talking points going into the trade deadline was the potential trade of LeBron James didn't happen. So let's live in the land to make believe a little bit. Talk about some potential deals we. 
would have liked to see maybe for him. The one I got in my head is Miami Heat. They've got the assets. They've got the the need there for that. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. I, I might have mentioned this to plant the seed here, but talking about moving off of Tyler Hero. For the contract-wise, I think you'd have to throw Hero in there. Duncan Robinson's got a really bad contract. They'd have to throw him in there. Then Jaime Hawkes, the rookie out of UCLA, has been playing really well. I think those would be the three players involved in the trade for LeBron. They'd maybe throw some trade assets, for like some draft picks. But what do you think about that potential move to get LeBron back in Miami? No, I think uh, I think if we're living in the the land of make believe here, I th- I think that that is that that doesn't sound too crazy, and I think that the Heat are already dangerous as of these past couple of years that they've been kind of the you know they haven't had the most amazing regular season, but they've somehow found themselves in the finals the past you know three seasons, mm-hmm. um, and so or the you know the bubble season and then this past season, so. It's it's interesting to see what he would bring to the to the team with Jimmy and with Bam and with you know moving some of the the younger guys Hero and, and Jaime Hawkes. So um, yeah, but I like that trade. I think that I think that 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 is unrealistic in the real world, but but could possibly be a a, a deal. I think it's a trade that would actually help both teams because LeBron's on the last year of his contract. The general consensus is whoever drafts his son is going to get LeBron this next draft. But he's also over 40 years old. So the clock's ticking on him. Lakers, they need some assets. Point guard's been a problem for them all year. If you get Tyler Hero in there, he's a young piece to build with. Jaime Hawkins has played excellent as a rookie. Obviously, that means you're going to be trading away D'Angelo Russell. So it would open the door for some other moves to happen. But I think that would have been a good trade. But what would be your trade for LeBron? So if we look at Eastern Conference first, my trade for LeBron would probably be um, to New York, to the Knicks. Um, And I think that right now the Knicks especially kind of have a piece everywhere except the small forward and to a lesser extent the the shooting guard. But they've got a fantastic all-star. He made his first all-star team this season, Jalen Brunson. Um, And then... They've got Julius Randle. They've got Mitchell Robinson. They've got a shooting guard in Dante DiVincenzo. And so really, and, and they've just picked OG Ananobi up from the Raptors. But wouldn't you want to slot in LeBron? So no. trade <laughs> trade Ananobi. Trade Obi Toppin. Trade Evan Fournier. Trade Quentin Grimes. And this is, this is pre, pre them trading them because I know that the Knicks have, have moved on from a couple of those guys today, mm-hmm. um, but trade some of those guys to LA. Some of the you know small forward, small forwards that you know that LA could use because if they're if they're leaving, if they're losing LeBron, they need somebody at that position. And so, and then I think you bring in a starting lineup of Jalen Brunson, Dante Divincenzo, LeBron James, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. That's a heck of a starting lineup. You could even move Josh Hart too. And then if we want to look, if if LeBron wants to stay on the West Coast, um, if we look at the teams here in the uh, Western Conference, I think that he would slot in very well with the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Is it the Timberwolves have great centers? They have Anthony Edwards, who is one of the greatest up and coming young talents right now 
in the in the NBA. Um, and I think having LeBron at the small forward could, you know, potentially potentially bring a fire to that offense. Now, I know Anthony Edwards plays the small forward, but Edwards is small enough to be able to play the shooting guard very well um, as well. And so, you know, trading some guys, you know, Jaden uh, McDaniels, um, a guy like uh, Kyle Anderson or uh, Troy Brown Jr., trading those guys to L.A. to get LeBron would allow would allow Minnesota to have um, Mike Conley as the point guard, Anthony Edwards as the shooting guard, and then have LeBron, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert as their starting lineup. I mean, that's that's a 2K lineup right there. That is... That's you know, a land to make believe lineup. Yeah, that is, that is truly as ridiculous as it gets. So those are my two picks of where LeBron would go if this was a made-up, you know, funny world. And then that's all we got from the NBA, but... Going over to your hometown of Rollywood, Carolina Hurricanes, they were on fire in January with an 8-2-1 record in the month. And they're overall are 28-16-5 now, only 10 points out of first place in the Eastern Conference. What have you seen from them? What's really working for them in this run they're going on? Right, so um, Andrei Sveshnikov was out, um, one, of the, one of the star players in the NHL, um, and... He was out for quite a while. Out at the end of the playoffs of last season, um, suffered in, suffered his initial injury, and then has had a little bit of struggles um, and has re-injured it. And is finally he came back towards the end of December and and um, into January, and has been. It was kind of slow to regain his stardom, uh, but was able to to bring it back. And him and Sebastian Ajo are firing on all cylinders is that you really could not ask for much better production from the two stars um, on your team. Defenseman um, Brent Burns has been well even scoring a couple of goals, which is typically unusual from a from a defenseman. Um, but that's just how this this offense is right now is that they are scoring so many goals they have to turn to their defensemen to start scoring some because the sheets are piling up. And so um, having those injuries kind of resolve, is what you want towards the end of your season. You don't want more injuries towards the end of your season. So as the season is oh, is winding down, we we just crossed we just crossed a, a little while ago over the halfway mark, and so we're in the second half now, and um, and continuing this momentum is is smart. But what I've seen um, that could potentially be a detriment is the goalie help, is the um, help in the net, is that um, uh, Ranta has been what most fans uh, would not prefer in their starting goalie. Ranta has given up some of the most goals in NHL uh, in the NHL this season. Um, but uh, Frederick Anderson is coming is coming back from injury and will potentially be in the net for the end of the season and into the playoffs. And so having your starting goalie coming back from injury uh, is is gonna be extremely, extremely helpful going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, I've been talking about that a lot. Goalie's been the problem for them. Anderson's finally skating again, getting back healthy. That could be a big, without having to make a trade, that could be a big acquisition for them. Or they might go out there and make a trade for a top-tier goalie. Because I think over the past few years, they've had a lot of, like, Bs at goalie. Not They haven't had that A-plus guy to get them over the hump in the playoffs. I think that could be the resolution there. But... Now we looked at Major League Baseball. They are 48 days back from opening day. They are 48 days out from opening day. 
some big news. I know we're talking about the Dodgers every week. They're my team, but they're also making the most moves. And honestly, the biggest move, in my opinion, for the Dodgers this offseason just happened. It wasn't signing Otani. It was bringing back Clayton Kershaw on a one-year contract with a player option for the next season. It put all the retirement rumors to rest. Is All us Dodger fans have breathed a sigh of relief. But what other big moves have happened recently that you found interesting? So one of the biggest moves that the MLB has been buzzing about for the past two weeks, you know, two and a half weeks, uh, that they just have not been able to um, get enough of is the Corbin Burns trade to the um, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Burns was the 2021 NL Cy Young um, Award winner and is a fantastic uh, right-handed pitcher. And so bringing him on uh, is probably the correct move for the for the Orioles, bringing that ace kind of that last piece is that they made the, the playoffs, although losing in the first round to the Rangers. It's um, bringing in that piece could potentially push them a little bit farther and bringing in that help on the mound um, is is important. Uh, and then surrounding surrounding Burns with pieces, with hitting pieces of Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, um, I mean, even um, a guy like Mountcastle can can really elevate this team going forward. And and I think that that's probably it's probably a team to watch out for, especially in the um, uh, in the East. So, yeah, last season they were the first place team in the American League, and you know. Corbin Burns has been on a lot of teams' wish lists and trades. They didn't have to give up a lot for him. They still have buckets of prospects to trade. So I think this season, if they're in the running for a World Series and they maybe need some starting pitching help from like the White Sox, maybe a Dylan Cease trade, they've got the prospects to make that move. I think they're in good shape for their future. they got new ownership who might be willing to spend money. But another ownership that just spent some money was the Kansas City Royals. They're not really known for opening up the checkbook to pay their players, but they signed Bobby Witt Jr. to a $288 million contract extension for 11 years. I think it has a three-year team option, which bumps up to over $300 million. It's a great deal for the team. A team that normally wouldn't make that move, I'm not going to blame this on the Dodgers. I don't want to sound like this typical Dodger fan, but when you see a player like Shohei Otani sign for – $700 million, that's a lot of money. These owners that don't like to spend money are realizing the not spending money amount has gotten a lot higher than it used to be. So we saw them make this big move. We're seeing some smaller market teams make the big moves. We saw that with the Orioles with their trade. We're seeing it with the Kansas City Royals. Some big moves from those teams. I think it makes for a more competitive, better brand of baseball moving forward. Are there any other moves you want to talk about, Blake? Um, in terms of moves, uh, it, it was disappointing to see, but uh, Josh Hader, five, million, uh, five years, um, $95 million deal to move him from the San Diego Padres to the Houston Astros. Hader was extremely efficient um, as a relief pitcher for the Padres this season. Um, I believe he was nominated for a couple of awards, uh, and uh, I, I think that that was probably the the – Smart move for uh, the Astros, um, and probably not the greatest move for the the Padres letting um, Hader go. But at the end of the day, it's uh, that was one of the the um, notable signings, especially from Houston.
The Astros also made some other big news, re-signing two-time MVP Jose Altuve to a contract extension worth $125 million. They've locked him up for a while. He's been the face of the franchise for years now. He's going to be the face for the foreseeable future. They're a team that no one wants to see succeed after the scandals of 2017's playoffs. But they're doing they're making some big moves. They used to be considered a small market team. They're spending the money too. Like to see that going around everywhere. And before we close out this episode, I actually got a fun fact about Jose Altuve. He is the only player in MLB history to make the All-Star team in the American League and National League without switching teams because when he was first came up with the with the Houston Astros, they were in the National League and got moved to the American League. So that's my fun fact this week. Once again, Blake, thanks for coming on today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And thank you guys for listening. We'll have more big news next week with softball officially having started. Baseball will be starting up their season next week. A lot to be excited for. Thanks for listening. <laughs>